Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Chris. That was a lot to read, and you might be wondering why we just read a whole thing from Joshua about a prostitute, and I'm going to tell you all about why we're doing that during the Christmas season, and it's because of this. We are in the second week of Advent, and our Advent series is an unlikely story, and so as we look at the birth of Christ, as we're going to get there in just a couple weeks, the reality is it's not the story that probably any of us would have written, and we're going to talk more about that But we go back and we look in Matthew chapter 1, and the lineage of Jesus is laid out. It's laid out right there. The people who Jesus' lineage came from all the way to Joseph. And Rahab is one of those people. She is one of those people. And as we look at this, and we're in the, the week of it being peace, this is just a very important thing to consider with her, and we'll dig into that. But she wanted peace. And she gets peace because of the grace of God and the faith that God gives her to have faith in him. And we'll, we'll dive into all of it. But think back to last week, just this unlikely story. Pastor Corey kicked off the Advent series, and he talked about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are unlikely characters that get picked up out of this whole story, right? Like, if you think about it, Abraham was not some God-fearing man. He was probably a polytheist, meaning he believed in multiple gods, uh, and maybe Yahweh just would have been one of those gods. It wouldn't have been that he was, you know, just focused in on the God of all the universe. He may have believed in him, but he was just descended from the mess that was the Tower Tower of Babel. So generations later, here he is, and he's picked to basically father a nation. And you guys heard that, hopefully you heard the sermon last week and how God used him and Sarah then to finally have birth to Isaac and just how it all transcends. And then here we are today to this story of Rahab, a prostitute in the city of Jericho who finds peace because of the work of Christ ultimately. Now, was it Jesus that she was realizing that she was experiencing? No, but only way that she could have faith and salvation was through the future work of Christ. And she was gonna play a pivotal part by being in that lineage. And for us sitting here today, some of you, like peace may seem like a very foreign thing, especially in this season. Like if it, from, I think like from the week of Thanksgiving until January 2nd, life is hectic for everybody. Like you're, you're going to the grocery store and buying all the food for Thanksgiving. And then as soon as Thanksgiving's over, if you're a normal person, then you start decorating your house for Christmas. Some people do that before Thanksgiving, but you know, that's for a reserved few people out there. I'm just messing with you. I'm thinking some of you, oh, I gotta be nice, Whitney said. But it's a busy week. Like you're getting stuff down from the attic or from your basement and you're decorating and you're doing all this stuff and then you gotta start buying presents and thinking through, well, what would this person like? And then, oh, I gotta go spend time with this person. And then you have no peace at all because you're like, if I have to spend a whole hour sitting and talking to that person over a meal that I don't even wanna eat, then I'm gonna go crazy. And then if I don't get this person the right gift, then they're gonna be mad and they're gonna lose their mind. And then you get the person 
person just the perfect gift and you think everything's gonna be great, but then like what you find out is it's not. Or you got your kid a gift and then you forgot to buy batteries and then you're seeing if CVS is open and you have no peace even on Christmas morning. Or you spent all morning putting together presents by like some booklet that's like that thick of instructions and none of it makes sense and you lost a screw that slid somewhere that you can't find. There's never peace. And yet that's just like a six-week span of time. Some of us live in a time where we never have peace. Some of us, our lives are filled with drama and just issues and turmoil all the time. Some of it our own fault because we just let it in. Like we want peace, but yet we are always maybe doing something that just creates and stirs up issues for our life. Or we look for the wrong things to try to find peace. And ultimately, unless we're under what Tim Gray has described in the foundations, if you took that class as being under the waterfall of God's grace, that's the only place you're going to experience peace. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's why we lit the candle for peace. Like, it, there's no other source of peace that you're going to find that's going to hold true and stay steady and actually give you the calmness and comfort that you would seek. I've preached, I think, now over 15 funerals this year. Only a couple of people I actually knew. But regardless if I knew them or I did not know them, I tell the people the same thing. My hope is today is to honor the life of the, the, the person who's passed away and then to point you to Jesus because he is the only source of peace and comfort that you can find in a time that you're mourning the loss of a loved one. Anything else someone searches out when they've lost someone they love de- deeply will leave them just scrambling for something new day after day, month after month. They'll never truly have peace. And so today, as we look at this text with Rahab and how she does find peace, I want us to see this big idea. God's unlikely grace gives us an unchangeable peace. Make sure it stays up there for a minute so you get a chance to write it down. Someone told me in my first sermon that they were like trying to do cliff notes of my bullet points, which is bad if you're going to take cliff notes of bullet points uh, so you can have notes. But God's unlikely grace gives us an unchangeable peace. That is his grace that just washes over all of us if we're, if we're a Christian, if we're a Christian. And then through that, you can experience peace that nothing else in this world can offer. And so check out these verses here. We already had read Romans 5, which I think is so cool. And like how Jeff and I, we talked very, very little this week about the sermon prep and worship planning. We didn't get to do it this week. And yet he has Romans 5 in the liturgy for this week, and I have it in my notes, and this is what it says again. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So only peace with God. Like, you, you don't miss that. You were not at peace with God. You were hostile to God. You're an enemy of God prior to Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is the only way we can have peace is knowing that we are in a place and a position that we are covered by his grace. Then we go on, Ephesians 2, 14 through 17 says this. So it's Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. For he himself is our peace. This is Jesus. 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. So don't miss this. He's breaking down, he's tearing down this wall of hostility that is between us and God that's keeping us from having the peace that we all so desire. He abolishes it. He gets rid of the laws because we cannot follow the laws that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Don't miss that. He says that he's, that Paul writes, he was killing the hostility that was between us and God. In the broken world that we live in today, there has to be war before we can have peace. There has to be war before we'll ever have peace. You cannot just like that, say, I'm going to just have peace for now on. There has to be, for us, like we have to turn to the one who has ultimately killed all hostility, which is Jesus. We have to tap into his patience. We have to tap into his grace. We have to tap into his kindness and love and gentleness. That's the only way that we're going to truly find peace. But then what we also have to do is be willing to wage war on our own sins in our life. We have to be willing to turn to him and say, God, I can't do this on my own. Like, I need your help so that I can find peace. And you think, well, I think I could do it on my own. Well, no, because Paul writes in Ephesians 2, just a few verses before that, he says this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This grace that God gives us is a free gift that we can do nothing to earn is our access to peace. Apart from his grace, we would never have peace because we'd be a hostility with God and we would be just constantly at work trying to earn our salvation, trying to earn favor before God. And that's something that we cannot do. We cannot then boast in it. And yet as believers, so often I don't know that we experience all the grace and peace that is afforded to us. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1 through 2 in his opening of his letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithany, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ Jesus and for the sprinkling with his blood. Hear this. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So there are literally, like sometimes for us, we just think, well, we've, I've experienced the grace and peace of Jesus. But he's saying, let it be multiplied to you over and over and over again. Like infinitely, there is more peace than we can even fathom. And yet there's an ultimate peace that's awaiting us one day in eternity that I know we can't fathom. And yet I don't know that we sometimes experience all the peace just here in this life that is afforded to us. But there's an unlikely grace that gives us an unchangeable peace if we just tap into Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we receive that? Well, I think it's by hearing and then receiving. And so our first point today is an unlikely revelation. When we look at verses 8 through 11 back in Joshua 2, and this is what it says. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. She's talking about the whole city of Jericho. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. 
for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now think about this. This is a pagan woman who is not of the people of God. She is saying, we heard about how your God, Yahweh, the God of heaven and of, of earth, like she is making a proclamation of who God is, first of all. Like again, she would have been no different than Abraham was centuries before who believed in multiple gods. She's, she's saying, this is the God. I know how 40 plus years ago, he dried up the Red Sea. Like that story was still striking fear in people who were enemies to God and his people. Still striking fear in them. And so she's saying, man, I've heard this. And everyone, it says that people have melted before you. And it says that our hearts melted. Our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man. Yet there was a change here for her. It's this unlikely revelation that she's heard the truth of who God is. And God revealed it to her in a, in a way that was different. She had heard of everything that he did, but now she's hearing it and she's saying, this is the God of heaven and the earth below. This is the God. And she helps them because God has revealed to her who he really is. For us to experience peace, we have to have God revealed to us. We don't just wake up and think, well, I'm gonna start having peace because I think Jesus existed. Even the demons believe there's a God and yet they shudder in fear, right? There's a difference in knowing he's there and then he's, out there doing something, and then there's knowing him as our God and our Lord and our Savior, a God who loves us and showers us with a grace that equals into peace then. And so this is the unlikely revelation. Why her? All the inhabitants of Jericho have heard. So why her? She was a prostitute. It wasn't like she was, you know, God looked down, and he's like, I'm gonna find the most moral upstanding citizen in Jericho and that's who I'm going to pick and they're going to help my spies and then we'll go from there. No, he looks into Jericho and he's like, I'm going to pick the most messed up person in Jericho. I'm going to pick Rahab, the prostitute. That's who I'm going to pick. That's who I'm going to use. And her heart is not melted in fear, but her heart is softened from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. God literally brings her out of this mess and this chaos where there's no peace and he reveals to her the truth of who he is and in that moment saves her. Like he saves her and brings her in. I mean, she was most likely a madam over a whole brothel because some translations in the Bible, they, you know, people don't want to say, oh, well, we have a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. So they say that she was an innkeeper. Well, that's just another way of saying she was a madam of a brothel and she was also a prostitute. So she didn't just prostitute herself out, but she prostituted other women out. So she was really messed up, if you're tracking with me at this point. Like she was not an upstanding citizen. Her life was about servicing people for money and then lying. She was known to lie. That's why she just did what came natural to her when she lied to those people searching out the spies. But when God hit her, it changed her whole life. Like it just impacted her and everything about her has changed. And then here's how we know this, because she's mentioned throughout the New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 31, says this, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were being, who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You hear that? They, she did not perish with the rest who are being disobedient. That's the result of anyone who's disobedient to God one day will perish. Anyone who's stayed in this disobedient place to God will one day perish for all eternity. And yet in this moment, in this time that was just a, a momentary perishing of, from this life, he saves Rahab. 
And then in James 4, verses 25 and 26, it says this, And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from the works from works is dead. So my mind is drawn to this idea of this unlikely revelation because she responds. You can see that she didn't just hear and think, that's nice. He dried up the Red Sea. That's cool. He wiped out these other rulers. No, she responds. There's an action. You can see a change in our heart. So often we'll be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but yet there's no fruit from that. There's no change in our hearts. We're not saved by works, but works shows that we are saved. Our identity isn't driven by our works, but from our identity in Christ, those works should flow. And we see that here, that the word of God is revealed to her, the truth of God is revealed to her, and from that now, we see her working. Though in lies, she still works. She still does something that is trying to help the will of God. And then God uses that, even though he does not condone her lying. I told the first service, don't think, well, I got the gift of lying too. I can use that. That's not a gift. It's a sin. If you are good at lying, you just, you're good at sinning. Now, let God use those uh, persuasion gifts a different way, but not in lies. But God will use it all the same because he does things to his glory, and he has an unlikely plan. He has a very unlikely plan. That's our second point, an unlikely plan. So Rahab, she's hid these spies in stalks of flax. I don't know what that would even look like. I've only seen flax in like a bag from Walmart, you know, like it's all ground up. And um, we, my wife puts like in oats and stuff and things. I don't know. I think that's what you do with it. I don't know. It's good. She's told me it's healthy, so I eat it sometimes. But I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, you got these big stalks to flack, and you got these guys coming up, and they're searching. They've heard word that the spies are in there, and I just pictured a movie. Like, we're all anticipating. Like, they, they get underneath these, this grain, basically, and they're laying there all calm, and man, I hope they don't find me, and then here come the guys looking, and Rahab's like, no, they're not here. Like, I would just think in my mind, if I was one of those guys, I would, I would lift up and look. I would be poking my head around, like, because I, I would, why were they there at her house? Why were they at the inn? They probably had heard word that maybe they came there. And yet, God has this unlikely plan that she would hide them away, and no one would look there. And then she would send them off in a different direction as she lowered the men down through a window in her house that was built into the wall of the city so they could escape. And she sends them off a different way, the text says. And then she's worked out this deal with them. She's worked out this deal with them that she would be okay. It says back there that in verse 12, that now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She knew the outcome that was coming. And yet God had a plan to save her and her family. It's the same for us. God knew the outcome that was awaiting us, which is eternal death. And he had this unlikely plan to send his son to be born of a virgin. It's an unlikely plan here as well. But he does all things for his glory. Psalm 119, 90 through 91 says this. It's Psalm 119, 90 through 91. It says, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. 
God uses all things for his glory, for his plan, for his perfect and good will to be accomplished. And so in this moment, what seems like an unlikely plan and not how we would have wrote it, he does so. He has a plan. Hear this. This is even more appropriate, I think. This is from Acts chapter 2. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. By his, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now think about this. If 2,500 years ago, so we're going back before Jesus was born, way before Jesus was born now, is, and someone asks you, I need you to write out how the Messiah will come to earth. Would any of us have said, well, I think a good idea would be that if this teenage virgin who's betrothed to a carpenter from the lineage of David, that would be cool, if he would still accept the fact that she's impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and then they would have to go off into, you know, back to Bethlehem because of this whole census thing, and then he's going to be born in a manger, and he's going to live about 30 years, and he's going to start a ministry, and he's going to have some followers, but his family's not going to like him in the beginning, and then he's going to go to a cross and die for us. We'd be like, no, that's not the story that we would write. None of us would have came up with that. Our story would look something like a Marvel superhero coming down out of heaven, like with a sword and like a flames and, and riding a horse. It would look like Revelation when he's coming back the second time to wipe out all things except for his people and to create a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we would have wrote, but we'd have been ahead of ourselves. See, his plan's not so unlikely because the reality of it is if his plan that we would have conjured up in our minds where he would have came like Revelation in the beginning, you know what would have happened to us? We wouldn't be here today because if he would have been coming back to get his people, the Jewish people, and it all just been over with, unless some of you come from a Jewish background, then we wouldn't have been grafted in. It would just all been over. We'd have been the ones that had never been born. We'd have, never, we'd have just been wiped off because his people would have been gone. And yet God in his goodness, though it seems unlikely, his plan, he says, I'm gonna send Jesus and then I'm going to give thousands of years, maybe more, who knows how much longer until he returns a second time, and I'm gonna do something even more unlikely. After I send to heaven, I'm gonna gather up my believers, even though they're kind of messed up, as the church, my bride. And then they're gonna take my message of love and grace and peace out to the whole world, to everyone, to their neighbors and to the nations. And then one day I'll return when everyone is hurt. Then I'll return. Then I'll have ultimate peace for everyone. But that plan doesn't make sense to us, but yet it is a God's perfect plan God saving Rahab in that moment with her family was a perfect plan. And here's why, because he only gets the glory now. Only he gets the glory. We can't look at this and think, man, like, 
This is how I would have done it. Like, I think about my, like, going back to, like, the unlikely revelation and then an unlikely plan. I think about when I heard the gospel and responded for the first time as a seven-year-old in State Park Baptist Church. I wasn't in a Sunday school class. I wasn't in a vacation Bible school. Pastor Fisher stood up there and shared the gospel. And I just stood up on my own when he did the altar call. It was old school. I mean, talking 33 years ago. I'm old. And so I got up and I respond to the gospel. And you think, well, what's so unlikely about that? I mean, well, what would prompt a seven-year-old who was, I was seven at the time. I was a little bit of a punk. I was a lot of a punk later. But like, what would prompt a seven-year-old? Nothing but the Holy Spirit. That is it. And I walked down that aisle and then he would baptize me a few weeks later. But here's the amazing thing is his daughter-in-law sat in this service at 85 years old, just the previous service. Years ago in this building before we bought it, and it was our building in Collinsville Community Church before we merged and we rented here, I baptized his great-granddaughter right there in a horse trough. Or no, it would have been a hot tub at that time. In the holy hot tub, right there. Like that's how God works, that it's his unlikely plan that this man who I don't remember what he even looks like. I just know his name was Pastor Fisher, and yet I baptized his great-granddaughter because God is always working and has an unlikely plan that we cannot piece together on our own. We can't write it, and yet he's at work because he's looking at us and saying, I have a plan, and I'm going to make you my people. And that's where it becomes an unlikely choice. It's an unlikely choice. God chose Rahab. He could have chose someone more moral, like Bill, the accountant of Jericho, you know, who did everything right and good and think, well, Bill's a nice guy. Bill's not real in the Bible. I'm being facetious, okay? Any of you are like, well, I didn't read that part because he's not in there. He doesn't exist, all right? But like he didn't choose them. Like he chooses the unlikely. He chose Abraham and Sarah. He, choose, he chooses Rahab. Next week, we'll talk about Ruth. He's choosing unlikely people to be in the lineage of Jesus. If you go back in Matthew and you start to read, like it is some messed up folks all through there, and you're like, dang. It, for me, it makes sense then why I'm grafted in and why he chose me. I'm like, huh, I fit right in with these people. I'm just as messed up as them. Like it just lines up. And you might think, man, I don't know. Like, God might not save me. I've done some pretty bad stuff. I'm not that great of a person. He saved a prostitute. You think you're like worse than her? Do you think you're worse than Abraham? He was a, not a good person. Like he says, he, God uses Moses who was a murderer. Like, I mean, guys, like he's using people who we would never even hire on staff here at this church. Like they wouldn't pass the background check. You couldn't serve in kids, half these people. Like you wouldn't be, like, and yet God saves us. And this is where some of us start getting nervous. You're saying, well, hold on. So God chooses me? He, he just, I don't have any choice in this. He chooses me? And I'd say yes. Like Rahab didn't decide she wanted to hear this differently. God decided, God chose that she would hear this revelation of who he was and it would hit her differently than everyone else. God reached down into her heart and changed her heart and shifted everything and she was saved in that moment because she believed in who God was and what he could do and what he was going to do. Again, we talked about Abraham. He wasn't worshiping God. He was a polytheist worshiping many gods and yet God saves him. And so God chooses whom he saves and here's how. It's by faith through grace. 
And she had faith that God would pass over her family and not wipe them out with everyone else. And why? Because she hung that scarlet cord out of her window. She hung that cord marking that God had chose her and her family. And it points us back to Passover. Like God tells the people in Egypt when he's doing all the plagues, like the last plague, I'm gonna wipe out the firstborn of of every family, of all the livestock, unless you've made a sacrifice and you take blood and you wipe it above your doorpost. And then when the angel of death came through, he passed over those families who had made the sacrifice, who were God's people. And if they didn't have that blood, he wiped out the firstborn. And so for us today, if you're here and you're a believer, you're a Christian, you can have that kind of peace because you are marked by the blood of Christ. And so the eternal death will pass over you because you'll have eternal life. Your name is written in the book of life, not because you've done anything. We read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God not of our own doing, so that no man may boast. If you were working to be chosen by God, there would never be peace. I mean, as Jeff and I, last year, we went to Indonesia in August of 2022, and we sat there on the, the porches and under, like, um, I don't know, these weird things they had out in their yard that you could sit under and just talk. And we were drinking coffee as this chain-smoking Hindu was telling us about how he thinks his sins might get forgiven, but yet he's trying to be a good employer and be a good husband and do this and that. And hopefully, hopefully, his sins will be forgiven one day. We heard that message in different forms over and over and over again. That was with Hindus. Go talk to Muslims. They say the same thing. That I hope that I do enough good things, that I pray enough, that I give enough, that I maybe one day I have enough money to travel to Mecca and, and that will solve my problems. Then I'm pretty sure my sins will be forgiven. And no, there's no hope in that. And here's the problem. Many of us as Christians, then we function that same way. We function thinking that if we just do enough, God will love me. God loved you before you ever loved him. He chose you. He looked down upon you and said, I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them. And by name, he knew us. And he sent his son to die for us in our place. If we were working for it, there's no peace in that. Because you'd be just questioning, have I done enough? Is he pleased with me? He loved you just as much the day he saved you as he will in 30, 40, 50 years. His love for you will never change because then that, that gives you peace because of his grace. So in verses 18 and 19, we see she hung that. It says, behold, when we came into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your mother and father or father and mother and your brothers and all your uh, father's household. Then if anyone goes out of those doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. There is this guarantee. They are making a guarantee and they're just mere humans. And yet Jesus, he makes a guarantee that cannot be broken by going to the cross and shedding his own blood for us that then locks us in. And you think, well, man, I don't know. Like, why would he choose her? Why would he choose me? And this is what it says in Romans 9, 15 through 16. God, or Paul writes this in Romans. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. I want you to know there is not a better thing for me to know that I am not relying on myself because, man, I would mess it up. But I'm relying on Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. 
And then I look to Romans 8, 29 and 30. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he's not just saving us, but my gosh, he's making us to look more like his son by sanctification in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there is more to come. Just as we said that that grace and peace is being multiplied to you, he's literally saying there's more to come. He's not just saving you in the moment and then making you more and more like Jesus, but there's a more glorified, perfect body and soul, spirit that awaits us for all of eternity. So he chooses us, not in anything that we've done, good or bad, but he chooses us out of his own grace to make us co-heirs with Christ, which is a very unlikely position. And that's our next point, an unlikely position. When we look at Joshua 6, 22 and 23, we see how this all came to an end. It says, but the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. He doesn't even call her by name. And bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brother, brothers and all who belonged to her. And they, brought out all, and they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Now they didn't just stay outside that camp of Israel they had to have been grafted in because Rahab marries a Jewish man. She is the great-grandma. Nope, my bad. I got corrected by Emma. It's always fun being corrected by a fifth grader um, after your sermon. Emma corrected me. She's a pastor's kid, so that makes sense that she would do so. Rahab is the grandma to Boaz. So if you're tracking, like, so next week you're going to hear about Boaz and Ruth. Like, Boaz had some class about himself. He conducts himself in a good way. Like, and then what we can see as we track through this, like you see Rahab and Ruth and all these women that were not really people who you would think that would be in the lineage of Jesus, and yet God saves them and puts them in the, in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so like she set a good tone, obviously. Like her heart was changed from being a prostitute to being someone who spoke into the life of Boaz because, my gosh, like he, that, he was a man who honored God. And then you just see how that just has a trickle-down effect. She was a woman who ran a brothel, and now she's in the family tree of Jesus. So God not only saved her, but he placed her in a spot of honor. And he does the same thing for you. If you've been born again, if you've been saved, he doesn't just save you and leave you outside the camp, as it says here in this text, but he brings you in and sets you at the table as family, as a son or a daughter, to share in all that he has. We're co-heirs with Christ, the Son of God. We're not just, you know, a distant cousin. We are brought in. He loves us dearly. And some of you might be thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he could save me, but to, to do that, to put me in, in that position, yes. Yes, he can and he has. Like you've not outsinned his grace. You haven't done more bad than, than can be forgiven. He, is, he sees you and he loves you and he wants you to experience that peace. I think in the busiest season right now, like the most logical thing we could do is slow down and sit at the foot of, of the cross and just say, Jesus, give me some peace that only you can provide. Because Jesus waged war on our sin so that we did not have to experience turmoil the rest of our lives. And there's a greater peace that awaits us, but he waged war. Like I said in the beginning of the sermon, there has to be war before there can be peace. And he waged war on sin. 
And sometimes we have to be willing to wage war on our sin. Rahab wanted peace, and she sided with God. She sided with God and his plan and, and helped those spies. Though she lied, God still used it to honor her, or to honor his will and get it done. And so today, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I want you to consider where you are with God. Maybe you're here today and you, and you are a Christian. You know without a shadow of a doubt that you've been born again. You've been saved. You, you've been accepted into the family of God. And yet, you never have peace. There's always something more happening in your life. And you just feel like, man, nothing's ever calm. Nothing's ever good. Maybe it's someone else's sin, but maybe it's your own. And if it is, this robbing of your peace, I'm asking before you come up here and you take communion that you would spend time to pray to God and ask him to reveal to you what it is that's robbing you of your peace so that you can find peace in him. Today, maybe you're not a Christian. You've not been yet saved from the wrath of God, from destruction, basically, the same as the city of Jericho was going to experience and did experience, except for those in Rahab's family. But today, you can have an assurance of peace. You can have the ultimate peace that's found only in Jesus. Everything else in this world is passing away. Relationships end, people die, and things break. But Jesus stays the same with his unchangeable peace. And so I want to just urge you, if you're standing here today or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, stop and just pray. Slow down and ask him, God, if you're real, make yourself known to me. I'm begging of you because I don't have peace and I want an assurance of peace that I have eternal life only found in you. And I believe wholeheartedly that if you, you pray that with a true, genuine heart, God, that God will reveal himself to you. And so I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna read from 1 Corinthians concerning communion. And then as you're ready, you respond. Let me pray for us. God, let's thank you for the fact that you not only chose Rahab, but you continue to choose people just like her, just like me just like many people in this room, people who do not deserve salvation, but yet that's why it's called grace. You shower us with it, Lord. You just bathe us in your grace. And from that, Lord, if we'll just sit and stop trying to run out from underneath your grace, we can experience peace. Peace that's unlike anything that is offered in this world. And so God, I pray for those of us in the room who are believers, God, that we will just slow down and we'll sit underneath that waterfall of your grace and we'll just be in a place of peace that is like no other. We'll be comforted in all of our struggles and turmoil and trials of this life. We'll have a peace and a comfort that we know that we just have a sure and steady anchor, which is you, Jesus. And God, for those in this room that do not know you, they have no peace, that they keep searching for things in this world to give them peace, but it, it fails time and time again. God, I pray that you will just break their heart of stone, that as the text said, you will melt their hearts, Lord. Not just to obliviate them, but God, that you will give them a heart of flesh and you will save them. So Lord, we thank you for your sending Jesus. And God, we now just wait for you to send him a second time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We get to proclaim his death as we advent, as we wait for his second coming. So let's respond to the God who saves us and loves us.